Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality. I was actually going to ask my mom if I could stay home from school that day. 30 minutes into the class period is when we heard a round of shots. But you don't know how many shooters there are. You don't know where exactly they're coming from. The shooter or shooters are still at large. You are listening to Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. It is me, Daisy. Welcome. This is a podcast all about extraordinary people and extraordinary stories. Here we will shine the spotlight on their journeys and hopefully learn something about ourselves and the way that we live our lives from their experiences too. Join me as we get to know our guest. In this episode, we are speaking to Alea Eastman. She was in her junior year at Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School when a former student burst into her classroom and opened fire. This massacre killed 17 and injured dozens and is said to be the deadliest school shooting to date. Alea, take me back to February 14th. 2018. How did your day start out? Oh, I haven't talked about this in a while, um, but it was a pretty normal day. Since it was Valentine's Day, I really was not interested in going to school. I wasn't interested in seeing all the lovey-dovey things. It was just, I was just over it at that point. It was my junior year of high school. <laughs> I've seen it for the past two years. So, you know, I was kind of just over the whole Valentine's Day day. Um, So I was actually going to ask my mom if I could stay home from school that day. But I knew because I have a mom from the islands, from the Caribbean, that she was not going to let me stay home. So I didn't even bother to ask her. I just got ready and I drove myself to school, parked my car, got to campus, um, had a normal day. Uh, I had a fire drill my second period of the day. We only have at that point, um, we had block scheduling. So we had eight classes and four different classes each day. Um, so on this day, I was in my second period. There was a fire alarm, but it was normal fire drill. We went outside, normal. But then when I got to my fourth period, which was my last period of the day, that is obviously when the day started getting hectic and crazy. It, I was in my Holocaust history class. Um, This was a class in the 1200 building, which is a building that was built separate from the rest of the campus. I don't know if the viewers 
might be familiar with my high school, probably not, but it was a very huge high school. Um, the high school that I went to is larger than my college campus. So just to put in perspective that our campus was very big. Um, I think there was like 12 to 13, maybe 14 different buildings. And most of those buildings were connected to each other. But this particular building that I had this class, was it, it was its own entity separate from the rest of the campus. So as a junior, nobody really, as a junior or a senior, nobody wants a class in that building because we call it the freshman building because you have most of your classes in that building when you're a freshman. But I had an elective course and this teacher that I, that taught this elective course also taught freshmen. So she had a class um, in this building. Uh, and I got switched into this class in the second semester. So I was only in this class for about a couple weeks. And I would say about 20 minutes or 30 minutes into the class period is when we heard a round of shots, not exactly knowing what it was, but just all comprehending what we heard. Um, and we kind of just sat there and we all froze. And then we heard another round of shots. And that is when we all got up and took action. Half of us ran to the corner that is the designated quarter for like an active shooter, which is out of the view of the classroom door. And the other half of us ran to another corner, which was in completely in complete view of the door. But it was a class of over 20 students. So not everybody can fit in one corner. We were the third classroom that was shot into by the perpetrator. Two of my classmates unfortunately died in my class, Nicholas Duaret and Helena Ramsey, and four other students were shot and survived. Um, and I remember initially when the shots started coming into my classroom, I was still not fully comprehending what was happening. I was like, this is a, some sort of sick and scary senior prank. Um, and then, you know, some students were saying, oh, this is just a drill because we were told this whole week, this, this happened on a Wednesday, we were told the Monday and Tuesday that we were going to have a realistic active shooter drill. So students were already in the mindset of this is just a drill. Let's not overreact. But it did sound extremely scary. So we obviously knew something wasn't right. I started to see red on the floor and still my mind is telling me this is a crazy senior prank. I'm assuming that it has to be paintball guns, but you know, I've never been that close to an AR-15. So I don't really know how it's supposed to sound, but I'm just, my brain is just telling me, you know, it's just a senior prank. And then I look up and I see my classmates slumped over on the wall, obviously not alive anymore. And that's when I kind of got into that survival mode. And I noticed my classmate, Nicholas, who was sitting in front of me, he also fell over onto the floor after getting shot and I matched every movement of his body. Um, and I just laid underneath him until the shooter moved on to the other classrooms. Um, but at that moment, I don't think people realize, but you don't know how many shooters there are. You don't know where exactly they're coming from. Like you might think you want to hop out the window, but there could be other people outside. So it was just like, there was nowhere to go. You were just stuck um, and there was really nothing else that I could have done to possibly survive. So um, I just remember as a young kid, that was something I learned after hearing on the news, the shooting that happened at Fort Lauderdale Airport. So I 
always told myself if I was ever in that situation, that that's what I would do. And unfortunately, at the age of 16, I was put in that situation and had to actually act on my words. It just hurts me so much to hear you speak about the fact that you have a dedicated area and you, you had a dedicated area in your classroom where people go and hide the fact that that same week your school was doing drills to, I guess, essentially reenact or, or warn kids what to do if there was a shooter inside your school. It speaks to how common this is and how much of a, a risk students are at in America. I'm, I'm from... For anyone listening, I'm, I'm from London, I'm from the UK, and this is something that I have never, ever, ever experienced in my life. It was never even, it was never even in my mind growing up. And it's so painful to hear that that was your experience. And it's not only your isolated experience, this is happening across, across America um, and it's becoming more and more frequent. How did you get out? Did do what is the protocol? Does someone come and get you out of your classroom? Do you make a break for it when when you you know feel it's safe to do so? So um, a few students from my class called nine one one. Obviously, you know it's a class. It's a school of over three thousand students. So a whole school and you know the city of Parkland and Coral Springs are all calling the police at the same time. So. Obviously, the phone lines were jammed and phones were not getting phone calls were not getting through. Um, but I do think I'm pretty sure we were one of the cl first classrooms that the BSO came to. So we were sitting there for about what felt like an eternity, but was probably more like 10 to 15 minutes, all while the shooter is moving his way up to the second floor of that building and the third floor of that building. We were sitting there until the police department entered the building, which took some time. Um, and they came in and they said, first, they asked us how many are hurt, how many are injured, how many are deceased. Um, we told them immediately two are deceased. And we didn't know how many people were shot at the time, but we knew it was more than three people. So we told them that. And I specifically remember talking to my friend who was grazed. I was telling her I'm not moving away from this filing cabinet unless I know for sure that it's helped because I was afraid that it was the shooter trying to play a prank just to get us from hiding or whatever. Um, but then they came and obviously rushed to the corner I was in because I was right next to the people that died um, and they were checking their pulse. Um, they told us to get up. They told us when we enter the hallway, don't look up, down, left or right, look straight forward and run. Um, and just drop our phones, drop anything that was in our hand. But I knew my car keys were in my bag, so I had no way to get home. And my only form of communication was my phone. So I made sure that I kept my phone on me and I just ran out of the building. Um, and I remember passing three bodies on the way out um, that were in the hallway. And that is how I got out of the building. We were still being told, you know, the shooter or shooters are still at large. We don't know where they are. They might be amongst the students. So the person right next to me could have just done this. Like it was really crazy. We didn't really know what was going on, but I was with my friend and I realized that she was sh shot. So I had to drop her off at the ambulance that was at the corner. Um, and I was just walking around, honestly, aimlessly, not really knowing what to do. I couldn't get to my car. At that time, me and my mom shared a car. So it, was, it wasn't like she can come get me. And even if she could, all of the roads were blocked off for miles. So it, it was no in and out of the city. Um, but I was, you know, walking throughout Parkland until I found someone that I knew and it was a friend of mine and she was there with her mom and we were just talking 
and her mom noticed that I had stuff in my hair. Um, and she called the police to come. And at this point, I probably say this is honestly the most degrading part of the whole situation because I was standing at the corner of the street with no shoes on while police officers are picking body matter out of my hair. And I just, at that moment is when I actually broke down because, you know, I'm filthy. I have blood on me. I have stuff all over me. I can't get to my mom. And then they took me right back to campus. And I'm the only student that had to experience something like this. Um, but they had me strip my clothes. They took all of my belongings. They put me in a biohazard suit. They made me record a statement without my mother there. So without parental supervision. And I don't know the laws in the UK, but in the United States, that's definitely illegal. Like you have to have an adult um, or parent or guardian unless the person is 18 and I was 16. So of course I was scared. I was right next to the building that I almost died. You know, there was nobody really there to comfort me. And then there was even like one point I was walking with the police officer because at this point it's like 7 p.m. It's dark outside. Um, they drove me to a Marriott, which is the only hotel in the city of Parkland. Um, and that's where all the students were getting picked up from their parents. So they drove me there after they got all they needed from me. And he, I didn't know he was on the phone, but he answered the phone and he asked, are you all right? And I thought he was talking to me because I'm the child that almost died in school, but he clearly was on the phone. And, and, and that was also just like another moment for me realizing that even like police officers and um, the people that came to get us out of that building are completely desensitized to what we just experienced as children, because not once did they even ask me if I needed water, you know, after experiencing something like that. So that whole thing, the after part of the shooting was to me just as bad as actually experiencing it, because I just felt so dehumanized throughout that entire process. And even at the point where my mom came to the Marriott to pick me up, she gave me a hug and they were screaming at her not to touch me. And I'm like, dude, I almost died. This is my mom. I haven't seen her since eight o'clock this morning. And you've had me here since for the past, how many hours now? The shooting happened at like two o'clock. It was now 10, 10 p.m. And I can't hug my mom. Like it was, it was just a very a very frustrating and upsetting moment. And just like also knowing that parents of the 17 victims were in that same hotel, just waiting for answers. Um, it was just an extremely horrific day. Continuing the conversation on Proverbs after this short break. Now, if you know me, you will know I am not a big fan of New Year's resolutions. For me, the pressure of starting something new in January has seen me fail over and over again. What I like to do instead is I like to give myself a little bit of time to settle into the year so I can actually figure out what goals I actually want to achieve. Now, one of my biggest goals this year is to be able to confidently speak in a new language. And this is something that I have been trialing and failing at and also working at for a really, really long time. Fast forward to the end of 2024. Think about what you're wanting to achieve. What can you do right now to give yourself the best chance of succeeding? Now, if you are like me and one of your goals is to learn a new language, 
you absolutely need to get Babbel. And I'm so excited to chat to you about this. Now, in just a few weeks of using Babbel, I have progressed my language skills in ways that I have never done before. And I've been using Babbel's 10-minute lessons, which are handcrafted by over 200 language experts to help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. What I love the most about Babbel is that it's designed by real people for real conversations. And I think this is something where I've gone wrong before. I have been learning French on and off since I was nine years old. That is over a decade and a half now. Yet I still didn't feel confident in my communication. I was learning through textbooks, but I was actually lacking that human connection in my vocabulary. Babbel's courses have helped me to learn real life conversation skills, to speak confidently and clearly in a way that locals will understand as Babbel's speech recognition technology helps you to improve your pronunciation and accent too. It's enabled me to be able to order food, ask for directions, speak to merchants, all without ever having to consult my language app whilst on vacation. Now studies from Yale, Michigan State University and others continue to prove Babbel is better. One study found that using Babbel for 15 hours is equivalent to a full semester at college. Babbel has over 16 million subscriptions sold, plus all of Babbel's 14 award-winning language courses are backed by their 20-day money-back guarantee. Now, I actually have a special limited time deal for our listeners. Right now, you can get up to 60% off of your Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com forward slash proverbs. Now, you can get 60% off at babbel.com slash proverbs, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash proverbs. Rules and restrictions may apply. America. We are endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. At Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. To serve others in ways that promote human flourishing and create a ripple effect of transformation for generations to come, find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu. February 14th was just the day that a high school in Parkland got shot. For other people, that's a start of our life from a different point for survivors. What are the long-term impacts? What what have the long-term impacts been on you? And, and what are the long t- long-term impacts on those that have been involved in, in a school shooting? Well, I mean, obviously it impacts mental health. So I now have post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, I've had to deal with insomnia at some points of my journey. I have had extreme depression. Um, But, you know, that's things that people have to deal with behind closed doors. Um, And a lot of the time, school shooting survivors, even just shooting survivors in general, especially high profile shootings. People are only there when, you know, they want the cameras there or they need, you know, a photo op or they're doing a story. But, you know, six months later, seven months later, when you're still trying to deal with this tragedy as a community, nobody's there to support. And I think that's just something that people experience across this country in high profile shootings. Um, But I will say 
you know, my high school was a very privileged high school in a very affluent community. So I will, I, I can't say that there wasn't resources available to us. Like there was millions of dollars being raised. Um, we had service dogs on campus. We had service pigs on campus, like random animals. Um, we had grief counselors, which were not all that great. But then my senior year, we upgraded and we had like actual therapists so my school did have the resources to support us, but not every school has that. And not every individual that experiences a high profile shooting has that support. Um, and I think that's just something a lot of people forget in the aftermath is that, you know, although February 14th was just the day that a high school in Parkland got shot into for other people, that's a, a start of our life from a different point for survivors. Because now we think of our life as before February 14th and after February 14th. And I think that's also something people don't realize when they're not a survivor. You touched on something that is is so true that you never ever hear about not only the aftermath, well, you never hear about the immediate aftermath, what you went through, you know, being held, being, you know, strip searched just completely being completely violated essentially after after you've been through such a, a horrific life-changing event we never we never hear about that and we also don't ever hear about you know how you come to terms with what you have just witnessed and what you have just been through I, I do not know I cannot imagine what it must feel like to step into that same building and and try to you know repiece things together and go about your your normal school day afterwards it's just it's just in I, I I just I just have no words I know you are just the most incredible person and you you advocate tirelessly and you campaign and you're just you're just amazing how do you believe that we stop this I mean there's just a lot that we can do and I think as a country we have progressive answers it's just that, unfortunately, in the way that our democracy works, we have idiots in positions of power that choose to put profit over the lives of innocent children. The answers are there. We know, we know, we know that for inner city communities, they need more resources. They need mental health support. Um, they need financial support. They need actual sustainable jobs and after school programs for students. Um those are ways to curb violence, money for violence interrupters and programs that knows how to stop the, the, the problems at the root. Like they're, they exist, they just don't have money to do the job. We know that most of these mass shootings are carried out by assault weapons. Why do we not have an assault weapons ban? The answers are there. They just choose to put profit over children. And to me, that is absolutely absurd. And I don't understand how anybody, any human could ethically live with themselves, knowing that they are a contributing factor to children at the age of two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, getting killed on their way home or at school. You know, in the United States, when, you know, cigarettes was a huge thing and children were getting a hold of it or, or not children, but teenagers, they did campaigns. They changed the age of purchase for cigarettes, I think, to 18 or 21, whatever it, could, it is. Um, for cars, you know, they required seatbelts and um, car seats for children. But when it comes to guns, 
there's no, there's nothing. It, it's just silence. It's, it's crickets. And it's not to say that this isn't an issue that's important because it's the leading cause of death for children in this country. It's not car accidents. It's not any other, like, it, it's literally gun violence. And that is a solvable issue because we see in other countries across the world that this doesn't happen. <laughs> it, it's not common. So I, I'm just at a loss for words as to why uh, our legislators choose to turn an eye to this issue um, and actually implement research on gun violence and what we can do to curb it from a scientific standpoint, because it's the only um, sector of like major cause of death that isn't studied by the CDC or, or any of these um, I. Uh, any of these groups in the United States. So that's another aspect as to why we can't move forward and curb this violence because there's no research put into it. I know you study criminal justice at university. You're, you're just about to wrap things up. So huge congratulations. You just have the most exciting future ahead of you. You've done so well. I want to ask you, were you satisfied with the sentence that he got? So I actually don't talk about the shooter in interviews. So I don't necessarily want to give an answer, but I will say that I find it absolutely crazy that in a state that implements the death penalty, that an individual that went into a school and shot 34 people and killed 17 doesn't get the death penalty, but there's people in the same state that are serving death penalty sentences while being innocent and doing way less. But this person shot 34 people, majority of them under the age of 18, killed 17 and doesn't get the death sentence. I don't know what is the standard for the death penalty if something of that nature isn't because I don't know how much worse it can be. So that's what I will say. Um, But I do think... You know, at this point, if people like that aren't getting the death penalty, then we definitely need to reevaluate what the death penalty really is about um, and whether or not it's truly ethical and a sustainable form of justice. um, If people that are doing extreme amounts of violence and harm don't even get it and people that are innocent get it. And that is all you need to say on that. (laughs) That is all I need to hear from you. I want to talk about you now. How can we support you and support the work that you do as well? Well, right now, I well, for the past few years, I have been working with Team Enough. I am a founding member of Team Enough on the national team. Um, and there's many ways that people can support Team Enough. You know, people can donate to Team Enough. They can, um, they can just join our virtual events. We have a lot of virtual events online as well if they want to get involved in that way. I'm on social media. I always do events throughout Washington, D.C. Sometimes I go back to Florida. So if there's anything that you would like to support there, <laughs> it's always on my social media. But I think the biggest thing is just continuing to talk about this issue and really continue to raise awareness, especially from the outside, um, because, you know, it gets tiring for survivors to continuously talk about it um, and, and having to really clean up and do the work and not just survivors, but specifically young people. For the people that, you know, aren't here, Gen Z is really running the game 
out here and we're really stepping forward and taking control of a lot of the issues that is happening in this country. And I think that's just a historic thing. Um, the youth has always been the driving force of movements. So just really supporting young people in our work and our journey in this movement, because we are the ones that's really making it happen. Um, because unfortunately, the generations before us, they failed us. Um, to make to, to stop this from happening, you know, the first shooting should have been the last and the only one. But unfortunately, there's been over 200 that's happened since. So I think those are just my biggest, my biggest things. And what are your hopes for the future, whether it's a personal hope or a hope for society? What do you want to see the future look like? Honestly, at this point, I, I just want to see less violence in all forms. I think as a country, we have become so desensitized to violent acts of, of crime, violent acts of just anything, like even the way we speak to each other, the way we conduct conversations on social media. I just feel like we need to get to a point where there's resources for everybody to deal with their traumas and their hurt and issues that go on in their life because it reflects in the way that we interact with each other. Um, and I think just for me, I would just like to see less violence. Every day that I open Instagram or I open Twitter, I see it's another shooting or a stabbing or a carjacking. It was just, it's just always something. Um, so I just want to see less violence overall um, and not just for the United States, but across the world, because I know there's other countries that are also dealing with immense amounts of violence um, in different ways as well. So I think as a, as a world, I just would like to see more peace. And I think that's just like a broken record that everybody says. But I think at this point in our society, I, I don't see why we can't get there. Like, I, I just I don't I don't understand it. I think we can all take something away from that. Thank you so much for speaking to us. I'm so thankful you're here to to share your story and to talk about the work that you do. As I said, I've said this all throughout this interview. You are so inspirational and, and so incredible and so resilient. And you're so right in saying that. And I, I feel this as well. We really are the generation to make a change. And I really see us changing the future and 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 making the future such a such a better place and we all have a responsibility to implement those changes and that concludes this episode of proverbs with daisy maskell that is me i hope you enjoyed it hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes and i will see you soon podcast listener do you love talking about movies music tv comics and games then you should be listening to the great pop culture debate back in bigger than ever for season nine this season the panelists discuss the best james bond film the best elton john single the best nickelodeon original series the best batman villain and so much more find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com more than 100 topics are already available subscribe today